Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, now may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our text this morning is from the Gospel, Luke chapter 10, read before. I want to start off this morning with a few of what I would call what-if questions. What if? Let's try this one on. Uh, What if the folks from Publisher uh, Clearinghouse pulled up in front of your home and you looked out the front window and you saw a van with a camera crew and a man with a microphone walk up to your door and if he said, I've got some great news for you and I've got several million dollars, do you mind if I come in? What would you do? Would you let him in? What about this one? What if you, your doorbell rings and when you open it and answer it, there stands the President of the United States? Some of you have a different answer than from the first question, I can tell. What if you opened up the door, though, after the doorbell rang and there stood Jesus? And Jesus wanted to come into your house and spend some time with you. Would you make him stand on the front porch until you cleaned it up or what? Or would you willingly and gladly welcome him in? Now, that's not as far-fetched as it seems because that's, in fact, what happened uh, one day to two sisters. Uh, Luke 10 tells us how they responded uh, to this unexpected visit from the very Son of God. Now, one point needs to be made here. In fact, uh, both Mary and Martha evidently knew who Jesus was. They were extremely happy to have him in their house. It's obvious that they were thrilled to have him as a visitor, even if it caught them by surprise. And guess what? Jesus probably did not show up alone. He had 12 other hungry men with him. Now, as we study this little story, I think it's very clear that these two sisters had a very different temperament. Many of you have heard this story any number of times. And their ways of making Jesus feel at home could not have been more different. Now, it helps to know that this little story in Luke chapter 10 kind of takes place at the uh, very end of Jesus' three-year ministry time, uh, perhaps only about six months before he actually enters Jerusalem and is crucified. Now, Jesus, as Scripture says, has now turned his face toward Jerusalem and is kind of making his final tour of a bunch of towns and villages. And by this time, his ministry, which had reached his height at certain places, had now kind of hardened into a certain amount of hostility. People really didn't care much for this Jesus anymore. And so the safest place for Jesus to be, it seems, was the house of good friends. Mary, Martha, along with their brother Lazarus, who, by the way, is not mentioned in this story at all. They lived in this little town, a little village called Bethany, which was on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. Uh, Now, Jesus did not own a home. We know that from Scripture. And so he depended almost entirely on the graciousness of all the people. In Matthew 8, verse 20, it says, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So that's why it was considered to be culturally important to welcome strangers into your home, to offer them good food and, if necessary, put them up for the night. 
Now, in later years, this practice of hospitality became really key when all of these evangelists were sent out into the world. We talked about the Great Commission of Bible class this morning, so that they had places to stay as they traveled all the way to the distant corners of the Roman Empire. So for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, it was a great honor to have Jesus stay with them. Now, I think he came to his home because he knew that it would be a safe place, but I think he also came because he liked them. It says that in Scripture. He knew he would be welcome, and he could kind of get away from the storm clouds of controversy that had been swirling around him for some time. Now, about this text, you know, it's always kind of interesting. When you look at the text itself, you kind of wonder what's going on here. And I'm going to add that there's nothing particularly difficult about today's text. Uh, the words are pretty straightforward. There are no unusual theological problems here. Uh, Jesus comes to a home. Martha acts one way. Mary acts another way. And Jesus basically referees the argument <laughs> and comments on the difference. That's really all there is to this story. Now, I'm not going to say amen because there's more to it than that. Yet this simple story has really confused people from time to time. It has actually sometimes frustrated people. And I'll be honest, it's actually made a few women in the congregation mad over the years. Because this whole story about Mary and Martha and how one of them treated Jesus one way and how the other one treated another way and which one am I and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and the urge is sometimes to take sides as to whatever. Now, we ask, what, which sister was really right here? Was Martha justified in what she said to Jesus? Should Mary who probably shouldn't have been sitting with the men, because that didn't normally happen in the synagogues, should she have gotten down to the kitchen where she belonged, sounds terrible, and do more than sit at Jesus' feet? And behind all of those questions are even deeper issues regarding personal identity, preferences, and how we can best serve the Lord. And I think that all of us want to serve the Lord, and the question is, What's the best way to do it? Now, I'm going to start with Martha. Martha's mission. I'm going to read you two verses again. Verse 38 and verse 40 out of our text. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And then verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him, that's Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to come out and help me. Wouldn't you like to know how that sounded? What that voice would have been? Might have been a little shrill. I don't know. Now, how would we describe Martha's personality? Well, I would describe it this way. In short, she's kind of a classic type A personality. She is gifted. She is driven. She's demanding. She's capable of accomplishing a great deal. But she's got a short fuse. She's quick-tempered. And regardless of what else we may think about her, it's clear that she loves Jesus and does what she does that day out of love for him and not out of obligation. Uh, she respects Jesus so much that without hesitation, she wants to honor him by using her culinary gifts, if you will, housekeeping gifts, housemaking gifts to prepare a meal in his honor. I mean, her motives were pure even if her attitude needed a little bit of adjustment. Now, I'm going to tell you that it probably happened something like this. If Jesus comes in, Martha immediately bails out into the kitchen. She's preparing while Mary goes into the living room 
listening to Jesus, there's no doubt he's teaching as he always did. And it seemed to assume that the disciples were probably there. And wherever Jesus went, we also know that a lot of other people showed up, so there may have been some other guests from around town. And so as time rolls on, you got Martha. She's doing many things at different times. She's folding napkins into little swans. I mean, she's basting the roast. She's smashing the potatoes. She's preparing that seven-layer Lutheran salad. Uh, she's probably making jello. She's setting the dinner table so the salad forks are set to the left of the dinner forks. See, I've learned a few things over 52 years. She even made those homemade biscuits, and she begins kind of scooping out the raspberry sorbet. Uh, into those little dessert cups, you know, maybe a little palate cleanser. Now, I say that just to, to make this point. Preparing a big meal for company is a big job. It takes time. It takes effort. Uh, meals don't cook themselves. Any of you ever said that to your husband? No, meals don't cook themselves. I mean, not everyone can sit in the living room and listen to the guest of honor when he's at the house. I mean, someone has to be in the kitchen banging pots and pans, and ev- or otherwise everyone will start. And thoughts like that, no doubt, are starting to percolate in Martha's mind. Now, I think most women understand this a whole lot better than men do. I'm going to admit that. After all, since most men hardly ever make a really big meal, the mysteries of the kitchen are just that. Mysteries. It's at this point that the true differences between Martha and Mary come into focus. Martha, on one hand, felt this responsible to ensure that the meal was properly prepared and served. And for whatever reason, Mary didn't join her. She chose to sit at Jesus' feet, a posture and attitude that eventually got under Martha's skin. Verse 40, again, says that Martha went up to him. Now, the Greek translation... (laughs) Well, the the English translation of the Greek kind of obscures the real force of the Greek because literally in the Greek it says, Martha burst out of the kitchen. (laughs) I mean, you can always picture the swinging doors flinging wide open. When he's like, I've had all I can stand, I can't stand no more. She, She couldn't take it. She marches up to Jesus, probably with a rolling pin in one hand and a bowl of green beans in the other. I'm not sure. And she says, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? You tell her to come and help me. Whoa. It's hard, actually, not to smile a little bit uh, when you read this, because all of us have been there. And we've all said something similar to that when we feel like we've been let down and abandoned by people we thought were going to help us. That phrase... Don't you care? Uh, These are special notice because sometimes words mean more than what the literal meaning is. For example, if people say, I don't mean to contradict you, what are they saying? But I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) Or if they say, I'm not saying you're a jerk, but (laughs) that's what they're really calling you. And when Martha says, Lord, don't you care? She really means, Lord, you don't care at all. Because if you did, you would have Mary get out of this kitchen and help me. Now, here's Martha's problem. It's very clear, at least to Martha. Jesus doesn't care, and Martha or Mary won't help. She's both criticizing Jesus, and she's blaming her sister. Now, underneath all of this are her real problems. 
unrealistic expectations, misplaced priorities, and misdirected anger. To say it another way is Mary thinks that she doesn't have a problem. She thinks everybody else has a problem but her. And as long as she could blame someone else, she didn't have to face perhaps what was really in her heart. She's busy, but she's not blessed. Jesus has come to her house, but she is so stressed out that the joy that could have been hers comes out in frustration and anger. And oddly enough, her desire to serve Jesus actually pulls her away from time with Jesus, and the good suddenly crowds out the best. But I think most of us can probably sympathize with Martha. You've got 13-plus hungry men sitting in the other room. Drop by for supper unannounced. Food does need to be brought. Maybe she had to go out to the market and buy it that day. It still has to be prepared. It still has to be cooked. It has to be arranged. It has to be served. And then everything has to be cleaned up in the kitchen. And that involves a lot of hard work. And every person, man or woman, who has ever ventured to prepare a meal like this before knows, again, food does not cook itself. Somebody has to watch the roast. Somebody has to mash the potatoes. Somebody has to set the table. And viewed from one perspective, Martha is just being a responsible hostess. That's one side. Let's look at Mary for a moment. Verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. That's all it says about her. And by the way, in the story, Mary never says a word. I wonder why. <laughs> I have a feeling it's probably a good idea that she kept quiet. I mean, what else could she say? And it's interesting to note that Mary is actually only mentioned three times in the Bible. Uh, she's, mentioned, uh, three, uh, she's mentioned in Luke chapter 10 and John chapter 11 and John 12. And in all three places, Mary is always in the same place. At the feet of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Every time she's mentioned, she's at the feet of Jesus. Now, what is sitting? It kind of implies quietness, kind of like you guys. Stunned into silence. At the Lord's feet. That's pretty close. Listening. Paying attention. To his word. Submission. And so those four words really kind of describe Mary's heart. Quietness, closeness, attention, and submission. She's utterly devoted to the Lord and wants nothing more than to be near him. Now, did Mary know about Martha's frustration? Oh, I bet she did. <laughs> you don't grow up with a sister and probably not know what she's like. I mean, certainly she knew her sister well, and she probably was not all that surprised when Martha came bursting out of the kitchen and pointing her finger in Jesus' face. But it seems that her desire to be near Jesus far outweighed any desire she had to help, uh, to help her sister. And on this sacred day, she chose, rather, to listen to every word of Jesus. Now, that leads us to a very interesting question. Who is serving the Lord? Martha or Mary? The answer is both. Both of them are. Both are serving the Lord. Martha is serving by preparing him the meal. And Mary is serving him by listening quietly at his feet. 
But which is the better place to be at this moment in time? This gets down to why Jesus has this story in Scripture. And the answer to that question is, Mary is. She is able to hear what her master says and is ready to respond at a moment's notice. Martha is so distracted that she can't hear anything that Jesus is saying. I can tell you, I mean, how simple is it to sit at Jesus' feet? I mean, anyone with a heart for Jesus can do it. I mean, if you can't sing or preach or, or, or teach, you can still sit at the feet of Jesus. If you don't have any money or any abundance of great talent, you can still sit quietly at his feet. I mean, any time, anywhere, any place, you can sit at the feet of Jesus. But there's a third part to this little story. It's what Jesus has to say about all of this. In verses 41 and 42, Jesus says, and I, I'd love to be able to hear what, how Jesus said this, but you know, Martha, Martha. <laughs> You're angry. I don't know if he had a smile on his face. Maybe he had a kind of slight grin. I don't know. But Martha, Martha, I mean, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I think just the fact that he said her name twice showed how he kind of assured her of his love. He knows how she feels. He understands her frustration. And even in this kind of word of reproof and what it seems that way, there's kind of warmth and compassion in his voice. Martha, Martha, come on. You know, slow down a bit. Settle down. Cool off. And in verse 40, we are told that Mary was distracted. The King James Version uses a rather picturesque word to describe uh, Distraction. It says that Mary was cumbered. <laughs> now, we don't often use that word. Other than, are you weak and heavy laden? Cumbered with a load of care? That's about the only time you'd ever sing that. Uh, cumbered, which is related to our English word encumbered, which means uh, to be heavily burdened. It's kind of like standing in a cement straitjacket. Uh, the Greek word is perispao, which means your mind is pulled in various directions. One moment she's worried about the roast, the next the rolls, next the dirt. She's wondering why Mary's not coming in. And Jesus said she was anxious. She was distracted. She was pulled in way too many directions. Uh, even that word anxious is kind of interesting. It, it, has, it has the idea in the Greek of having your mind suddenly fragmented into a whole bunch of pieces. And troubled means you cause trouble. <laughs> she was troubled. She was, she, was the, she was ready to go make trouble. She's going to speak her mind, and she was just bound, determined to spread the misery all over the place. Verse 40 also says she was burdened by all the preparations. Uh, interesting enough, looking at this, the, the Greek word for preparations is daskone. It's a common word which means to serve at the table. It's sometimes also in, uh, translated as ministry or deacon or elder. Because isn't that what elders and deacons do? They serve at the table. And that's a crucial insight. Her massive preparations were part of her service to the Lord, yet those very preparations soon became kind of a snare to her soul. And then there's a contrast between many things and one thing. Jesus, you've, you've been anxious and distracted by so much stuff. Come on. But only one thing, one thing. And here's the heart of the problem. Martha was so pulled, so pulled in every direction that she forgot the reason for it all. And that's that Jesus had come into her house for that day. The many things that overwhelmed the one thing that was really important. Now, Jesus is saying something like this. We paraphrase. Martha, you're so busy serving me that you have no time to serve me. 
I, I appreciate your love. I recognize your motives are good. But your heart is divided. Your heart's distracted. Your zeal to serve me has pushed me to the edge of your heart. Martha, I want you to be at the center uh, of everything. I want to be at the center of everything for you. And that is far more important than, than that you fix some fancy meal for me. Now, how did it happen that Mary was in the better place? That's what Jesus said, the better place. And the answer is she chose it. Given the same opportunity that Martha had, she chose to be with Jesus and sit at his feet. And friends, you're never going to end up sitting at the feet of Jesus by accident. You need to choose it or it's never going to happen. I mean, Mary did not know when or if Jesus was ever going to come back again. And so she was going to spend time with him while he was there. She knew there would always be other meals, but she might never have another chance to be with Jesus. That's why she was willing to leave some things undone if necessary. Uh, She chose the important rather than the urgent, uh, the better over the good. And this is why the Lord, I believe, commended her. And this passage is not about cooking versus praying, by the way, or the active life versus the life of contemplation. It's about the divided life and the focused life. It's a life of frantic activity versus a life centered on knowing who Jesus is and then being willing to make him known. Now, friends, I think all of us know there's always going to be plenty of work to do. Now, the work set before us is never going to be completely done. I mean, we will work all of our days, and when we die, guess what? There'll still be work out there, and maybe some of you will be leaving a lot behind, and other people are going to come along and doing it. But see, knowing Jesus must come before doing all of those kinds of things. Otherwise, all of our service is barren, and our hearts will be frustrated. One of the uh, books I read about this text, the guy said something interesting. He said, something eternal was cooking in that house, but it wasn't in the kitchen. The meal would soon be consumed. It would all be forgotten. But the meal that Jesus was serving that day as he sat out there and taught would last forever. And what you really need to do is not to miss one of those by focusing on the other. Now, there's another question. Do we have to choose between Mary and Martha? Well, the answer is no. I mean, both of them have their strengths. Both of them have their weaknesses. I mean, if you were on a sinking boat with Mary, she'd say, I'll pray for you. If you're on the boat with Martha, she'll say, I'll find the lifeboats. I mean, both of them are absolutely necessary in life. And I love the final phrase of the text where Jesus declares that what Mary has gained will not be taken from her. What she gained, she would have forever. Meals come, meals go. But time with Jesus is yours forever. I'm going to suggest to you this morning that what all of us really need is time to sit at the feet of Jesus. I said before, it doesn't happen by accident. And others will not always understand, including sometimes your own loved ones. But what about the meal? I mean, after all, somebody's got to go to the kitchen. Yeah, but I don't know, maybe Martha could have set the meal back a little bit later. Maybe she could have just put out a sandwich, I don't know, put out chips and salsa, something simple. Or she could have just rejoiced that her sister actually had a wonderful opportunity to spend all that time with Jesus. But think about it this way. Martha wanted Mary to be like her. Jesus didn't agree. But he also didn't tell Martha to be like Mary. He simply commended Mary for choosing the better part. See, Martha would always be Martha. She couldn't and shouldn't be anything else. But her attitude under pressure is what was wrong. And that's what Jesus confronted. 
said, one thing is needful, sit at the feet of Jesus. How happy I think all of us would be if we just learned to do that, to take time out of our life just to fit, sit at the feet of Jesus. We don't need to let the good crowd out the best. I mean, no amount of service for Jesus can substitute for the value of just spending time at his feet. Now, the world says, don't just sit there, do something. Jesus says, if you're worried and distracted, don't just do something. Take time and sit at my feet. Hopefully you see the gospel in this text, too. And the gospel is we're not saved by our good works, our good deeds or righteous service that's done in the name of Jesus. We are not saved by doing, but by not doing. We're not saved by giving, but by receiving. When we give up our doing and kneel simply in faith at Jesus' feet, then and only are we saved. As I prepared this message... I started this about three weeks ago. Shortly after I found out I was coming back again, I looked up to see what the gospel was today. I was thinking a lot about this text and about all the Marthas I have known and how much I really admire them. And it occurred to me that almost everyone I know is probably more like Martha than like Mary. And maybe that's inevitable. I don't know. We live in such a busy, uh, frenetic, pressure-packed world that sometimes we just don't take the time. And then as I read through this text, I thought about my wife. I thought about Nancy. I I got to thinking about all the meals that she has ever prepared over the last 52 years. And understand, I am no way comparing her to Martha. She's a gifted cook. I mean, I, I used to weigh a lot less. And she knows how to prepare a meal for two people. She knows how to prepare a meal for a whole lot larger crowd. And often I have kind of stood there, which is probably part of the problem, uh, stood there and I've seen her work in the kitchen, calmly kind of moving between the stove and the sink and the counter and the kitchen table, preparing four or five things sometimes at the same time. And husband, some of you have seen the exact same thing. And how she does it is all a mystery to me. But yet when the company comes, she'll start a conversation with that person and still somehow keep all the preparations on track, even sometimes getting them involved in in helping her. And eventually there comes this monumental moment when she announces that the meal is ready. And we all gather around the table and we see everything perfectly prepared and wonderfully presented. Somehow it all comes together at just the right moment. Now, I can only think of one word to describe this. Magic. Magic. It's magical, and it is amazing to me. I cannot do it, and believe me, I would not try to do it, but Nancy can do it, and I have seen her do it any number of times. Now, I thought about all of this, all of the Marthas of the Bible, and the many people I have known who identify sometimes, and I think I thought about the magic that I've seen Nancy do as she works between almost being a little Martha, but a lot of Mary in her, wanting to spend time. But then, strangely, I thought about a Christmas carol. Isn't that weird? Christmas in July. I thought about a Christmas carol. And it's one we sing every year in December. Joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. At first, I was having a hard time seeing the connection with all of this. 
I mean, I could mention a bunch of names this morning who you'd say, yeah, Martha, Martha, Martha. But then there's kind of an epiphany, and it's kind of funny that the epiphany comes after Christmas, right? But it's an epiphany. Jesus had come to Bethany. Joy to the world. Mary understood that. She sat at his feet. Martha missed it because she was so distracted. I began this sermon by asking, what would you do if Jesus came to visit your home? How about joy to the world? The Lord has come. He's coming to this world. He's come to your home. And every day he comes again to your heart. Let earth receive her king. He comes in this sacred moment as we gather and worship on a Sunday morning and asks us just to spend a little bit of time sitting at his feet. Let every heart prepare him room. May God help all of us to find a place to slow down and sit at the feet of Jesus. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth, let our homes receive his king. May God bless us in that in Jesus' name. Amen.